0: Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, for the ancient Israelites, the name Herod would have had some of the same connotations that the names Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong have for us. He was a consummate tyrant. Now, mind you, Herod was, in many ways, a great figure. He has that title, Herod the Great. He emerged out of the rough and tumble of late Roman Republican politics. He very skillfully found his way amidst the complex and always shifting political arrangements of the period, that really confusing period after the death of Julius Caesar. This is the time when when Octavian and Antony and Cassius and Brutus were all vying for power, of course, Antony and Octavian win, but then they fall into rivalry. It was during that very difficult period of civil war that Herod is operating. He was born around the year 73 BC, so when Caesar died, he was about 30, right in his prime, and that's, how he, uh, that's the period in which he was making his moves. He got on the right side of the right Roman figures at just the right time and found himself first ruler of Galilee, And then of the whole of Palestine his special patron was Mark Antony which is why the Roman fortress in Jerusalem that was right at the at the on the wall of the temple was called the Antonia fortress when Antony took his own life in 31 BC after the Battle of Actium Herod deftly shifted loyalty to Caesar Augustus and remained in power Now, if anyone who studied that period knows, that was a difficult move to make. You were once on the side of uh, Octavian's rival, and then you deftly become Octavian's friend. That was no easy task. So he was a player, as we'd say today. More to it, Herod rebuilt and dramatically expanded the temple in Jerusalem, making it truly one of the wonders of the ancient world. Remember, of course, Solomon builds the first temple. It's destroyed at the time of the Babylonian exile. Then it's rebuilt, but Jews were never really happy with the way it looked. It it seemed much less than its predecessor. So Herod decides he's going to really make the temple glorious again. And by all accounts, he did. Of course, anyone who's been involved in a building project, from fundraising to designing to assembling materials to paying the builders to putting up with delays, etc., knows how much patience and practical skill this takes. So Herod was an impressive figure, but it's just about anyone at the time knew Herod was out for Herod. He was, sadly enough, a pretty typical politico of the time. Vain, ambitious, ruthless, willing to do pretty much whatever it took to remain in power. He killed his enemies right and left as he climbed to power, continued to kill them right and left in order to remain in power. He was most notorious, and it comes through in all the histories of Herod. It must have really captured the imagination of of these ancient Israelites. He was most notorious For ordering the executions of three of his own sons, who he was convinced had conspired against him. It was Caesar Augustus himself who got off this great line, I prefer to be one of Herod's dogs than one of Herod's sons. Now, mind you, this is why no one at the time would have been terribly surprised by his wicked and desperately violent attempt to wipe out the child he perceived To be a rival to him. He was, after all, a child killer, a killer indeed of his own children. You know, and we who've, uh, some of us, been through the uh, horrors of the last century, certainly know it from our history books, we shouldn't be terribly surprised at this kind of tyrannical outburst. Do you see now why I compared at the outset Herod to Hitler and Stalin and Mao? You might say, with all this in mind, that Herod is the perfect type of the anti-family man. He's the patriarch of the unholy family. And here I think is the point of this gospel for Holy Family Sunday. We're meant to see a contrast here with Joseph. Herod's whole existence was conditioned by, predicated upon, what was good for Herod. Joseph's whole existence and behavior are conditioned by obedience to the word of God. See, and this will make all the difference. Herod is out for Herod. Joseph has transcended his own ego and listens to the word of God. And so we hear, an angel appears in a dream, tells him to go to Egypt. Well, he went. As I pointed out many times, travel in the ancient world was desperately difficult. This was not a matter of hopping a plane and heading off to Florida. This was an almost total uprooting of one's life. More to it, Joseph knew that his job was to offer protection from desperate enemies. So imagine as he sets out on this journey, any journey was difficult, especially now across Sinai to Egypt. But he's also fleeing from desperate and powerful enemies. Nevertheless, he obeyed. When Herod finally died, the angel appeared again, told Joseph to go back to Israel. So... Up he got, and he went. No questions, no hesitations, no second thoughts. Once he knew what God wanted, he did it. When he got to the region around Jerusalem in the south, he heard that Herod's son was in charge. And so, prompted by still another dream, he moved the family to Nazareth in Galilee. Hearing, obeying, protecting. His whole life determined by the will and purpose of God. And think, friends, for a second. By any worldly standard, Herod was a greater man than Joseph. More famous, richer, more powerful, more influential, etc. Who cares? See, the Bible says it over and over again. Who cares? What matters is not worldly fame, power, wealth. What matters is hearing the word of God, obeying it, protecting those God gave us to protect. That's what makes a life holy. And it's what makes a family holy. When each member of the family forgets his or her own prerogatives and projects and places the will of God first, that family will be holy. Holy. When together, all the members of a family surrender to what God purposes, they themselves become holy and happy. There is the principle. Now, this family might not be impressive in the worldly sense. Maybe the members of this family won't achieve the projects they imagined for themselves. Who cares? Who cares? If they listen together to the word of God, surrender themselves to it, they become holy and and happy. That's an implication of holiness, by the way. Herod loved Herod and his own ambition, and this led him, yes, even to murder his own children. Joseph loved God and God's purposes, and this led him to protect the Son of God and to become the patriarch of the holy family. Now, I know as I lay it out kind of abstractly like this you say, yeah, but you know, down through the ages in this great battle between Herod and Joseph, between unholy families and holy families. Doesn't it appear as though Herod and his type get the upper hand? Doesn't it appear as though Unholy families manage to outmaneuver and outflank and outperform holy families. Yep, that's the wisdom of the world. But the Bible keeps saying, take a closer look. Herod conspires to kill the Messiah. Look, using all the power at his disposal. Spies and armies and weapons. But... God outfoxes him. In fact, Herod's wicked scheme actually leads to the fulfillment of God's promises. Because of Herod, Joseph and the Holy Family flee Egypt. And God had said through Hosea the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And the implicit threat of Herod's son, which led Joseph to take the family to Nazareth, led to the fulfillment of another prophecy. For it was written, he shall be called a Nazarene. The point here is simple and clear. Never give in to the temptation of thinking that unholy people, that unholy families carry the day. It might seem that way for a time, it might appear that way to the wise people of the world. But the Bible insists that in the grand scheme of things, according to the movements of God's mysterious providence, holiness, authentic holiness, will always outflank and outmaneuver wickedness. Through our holiness, our cooperation with God's grace God is indeed working his purposes out. And though the superficial historian, the superficial observer might not see it, the person with the eyes of faith sees it. So that, I think, is the stark option presented to us on this Feast of the Holy Family. Which of these patriarchs will we follow? Herod the Great? Yeah, great in many ways, great in the eyes of the world, a man of great accomplishment, but a man who out of his ambition and self-love was willing to kill, yes, even his own children. Is that the model, power, money, honor, or is the model this simple Joseph? No great education, no great worldly accomplishments, no money no power, someone who'd be completely off the radar screen of any political or social or historical observer. And yet he's the one who had the grace to cooperate with God, to listen to God's voice. The message is, it is Joseph, despite all superficial evidence to the contrary, who in fact outmaneuvers Herod, it's Joseph who becomes, through his obedience and cooperation, a great instrument of grace. What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of family do you want to be a member of? Herod or Joseph? That's the stark option presented to us by this great feast. And God bless you.